going to go in there? Who's going to go find out what that thing is? I'm not going in. I'm not stupid. I'm not going in. Hey, what about you, old Swabby? You want to go in there, find out what that thing is? Uh, no. Uh, let's roll for it. What do you mean, roll for it? Uh, well, we have gaming dice if we assign an arbitrary numeric association between each of the three of us, we should have an even probability for the choice of who has to go in there and find out what that thing is. What did you just say? If, if I roll a two, then you have to go in and roll five, then Larjo over here has got to go in there, okay? So, let's do it that way. I got a five. Large O? I ain't going in there. Alright, I'll look and see what it is. What in the... What the heck? It's one of those. No wonder all the men is deaded. It's the RPG mainframe. Run! <laughs> Holy smomboli! It's episode 44 of the RPG Mainframe. Welcome back to Runeham. Up here in the northern section of Runeham area, before the mountains begin and where the rivers terminate. Betwixt the forests and the jungles, where the dunes dwindle and the hills rise, there stands a place. A reed-choked, vine-stricken nightmare, somewhere beyond the swamp and yet not the plain. Runemeria! RPG Mainframe, episode 44, this is it. Hey guys, thank you for your ongoing support, patrons, and welcome new patrons. To the Patreon site, this is the podcast you know's gonna last. Ooh, I'm back once again. It's the Lyrical Master. The Dungeon Master Damager. I'm back, you guys. It's back-to-back podcast because y'all my people. May's a big month. I'm just gonna hit you with stuff. This particular podcast has been in the works since the dawn of time. Actually, no, since uh, about 6,000 B.C., So just sit back, relax, and this is the podcast where we are going to talk about a huge topic. Get yourself comfortable. Get yourself a drink, because we're going to talk about dice. Dice, episode 44 of the Runehammer RPG mainframe podcast. Why am I doing another intro? That makes no sense at all. It's because I'm psyched. Okay. Now, we're all out there living that hashtag RPG life, right? right? We're, we're doing it. In whatever form we are doing this hobby, it comes back to those lovely little noble polyhedrals that we all love so much, the dice. They are the core of what we do in my mind. I know that the storytelling, the art, the book collecting, the book creating, the friend gathering, the Dorito eating... The adventure creating, the 
twist and turn, mind blowing. Those are all a huge part of what we do. But I truly believe as a gamer, game lover, game person, that the core of this hobby and this uh, sort of odd fetish that we all share is there is something truly magical about dice. Even when you're playing on Roll20, using digital dice is exciting and is awesome. And, and I think we've all been there where we're hanging on one of those rolls. And we know deep down with our boring adult brain that it's really just a random number selector, right? You could just pick a random number selector and install the app on your phone and have it choose a random number. No, it's not fun. We, we like it to be presented in terms of the polyhedral objects. And if any of you guys have gone to any of the bigger cons, you get out into the vendor floor and you make for the dice booths where they have these colossal selections of dice. You find yourself going home with way too many. And then you come to this podcast. And so I want to talk about multiple aspects of dice, what I love about them, where they come from, what's available, and how to use them. Dice. First of all, the, the original statement, or the first recorded statement of dice is from Sophocles. And I, I think this is about 400 BC. And of course, the Greeks, you know how the Greeks are, he claimed that the Greeks invented dice. Now, you don't need polygon mathematics to make dice, as we all know. Anybody who's gone camping for more than three or four days and has a pocket knife has whittled a D6. <laughs> We've all done it. Then you start whittling a D20, it gets a little more challenging. But you don't need all that Pythagorean math to make a decent dice, especially when you're a little less picky about the numerics or the so-called fairness of your dice. And so you have this claim by Sophocles in 400 BC, the Greeks invented dice, of course they did, the Greeks invented everything. But then, right away, archaeologically speaking, you have, uh, let's see, there's the shipwreck of the Mary Rose, I believe it is. And this is where a number of, of really small artifacts survived in the shipwreck. Um, this is from 600 BC, so 200 years earlier than mighty Sophocles. And there is uh, well-preserved backgammon sets and more. So not only were dice already in use, they were being used in compound ways. Anybody who's ever played backgammon knows that it's a lot like playing uh, my silly little game, Junked. It's very similar. Rather than trying to get high totals on dice, it is a game of getting specific totals, um, namely pursuant to getting your chips into your little slots. And then the strategy comes from how you use what when, rolling against the house, blah, 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 blah. We don't need to get into how backgammon is designed, but if people were playing it 200 years before Sophocles was hanging out, sorry, Sophocles, you may have invented a D8. Good on you. That's cool. But everybody who's playing with D6 is befowed at. Then that's not even to get into the Egyptian evidence. So you get into the Egyptian archaeological evidence. A lot of you guys have probably seen some of this stuff online. Um, there's a great page you can follow on Facebook called The Vintage News. Now, social media has really, really become not that useful lately. The screen life has proven to be somewhat toxic. It's kind of annoying. Lots of notifications are annoying. And if you're going to clean your Facebook page up, which I highly recommend doing, it's good for mental health. One that I really suggest keeping around is The Vintage News. It is fascinating 
um, fact-checked, historically accurate, archaeologically legitimate stuff ranging from 50 to 5,000 years ago or even beyond, and all these articles about this kind of stuff. And as enthusiasts as we are, this kind, it's a really handy source of information. But I digress. Some of this stuff came up in the vintage news, namely the Egyptian evidence. And this stuff goes so far back, all the way back to 6,000 BC. And really, it's harder to get any evidence on much of anything beyond 6,000 BC because of the time frame involved. And you know, you do have some uh, discoveries recently like uh, the Ankar Wat megacity. You do have um, the sort of Yanaguni mystery and you do have the Gobegli Tepe evidence, which is some very, very interesting evidence. All this stuff worth looking into, but not specifically uh, salient to dice. So that earliest discovery of dice and uh, I think the crazy part about the the 6,000-year-old evidence, which is sort of uh, Babylonian evidence or probably the city of Ur uh, or one of these sort of proto-Mesopotamian cities, is that the dice found are do dodecahedrons. So they have these complex dice with these little nodules that are definitely sort of toys like a jack. Now, were there numbers that were once inscribed on there, maybe uh, like a cuneiform number system that was used to create number randomization and gaming? Probably. Maybe they were used as jacks. I think these things are a little bit beyond uh, the time frame in which we're going to get some detailed knowledge. But suffice it to say, we have had this instinct to chuck dice around for a long time. I would also argue that Mankala, uh, the African uh, pebble counting game, is, is a progenitor to dice in a strange way. You, you have each pebble equaling one, so the pebbles don't tumble to a number, but it is such a short leap to see a little cluster of four pebbles and think to yourself, this pebble kind of lands on a different side each time I toss it. I could just scratch a little one scratch on here, two scratches on here, three scratches on here, and then boom, math. But I can, it's not hard to imagine more primitive people or more ancient people is a better way to describe them. Playing with faceted rocks or even wooden uh, sort of objects that they don't make, I'm talking really ancient, um, that could tumble in different ways. Um, any of you who are familiar with the sort of term or practice of rolling the bones or throwing the bones, um, I do believe that that's also a primitive form of dice or a simple or ancient form of dice. Uh, most notably featured in Willow, the bones point to you, Burglecut. Uh, so very similar. The, the dice, uh, or the bones, I mean, are used as dice. They land in ways that their orientation is salient to a semi-randomized outcome. Baboosh. Okay, so if we're talking about the origin of dice, there you have at least the key waypoint facts to sort of somewhat know what you're talking about. It gets really interesting to look into some of these details around the Renaissance when, honestly, everything is somewhat interesting. <laughs> you do have this mysterious painter who actually was never named, who signed his name in dice. And uh, this is something fun you can look up on Wikipedia. I'll leave that research project to you. But dice have been around and have had a, a little bit of an air of fun and in some ways mystery. And of course, as many of you know, they're associated with gambling, which can be associated with darker forces. And so they've always carried this sort of intrigue and fascination with people. And when you're thinking about the ancient use and invention of dice, it is such a small leap to invent or conceive or imagine 
of a game that uses prediction of randomization. I mean, this is what craps is all about, right? And the wider you expand your prediction, the better your chances of being correct. The narrower, i.e. snake eyes, the more difficult it is to make yourself correct with your throw, right? Then you instantly see, ooh, we could do, let's do best three out of five throws. Before you know it, you've got Yahtzee. And then the next thing you know, you've got Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. Boom. That's what we're talking about with dice. So I don't think it's weird or strange or even surprising in any way that even in a high-tech, complex world, dice are still fascinating to some of us. I think that this is something that takes us back, something that is analog in, in the truest sense of the word, and is it requires no power. It, you can invent an infinite number of games with it. I would argue you can actually invent more games with dice than you can with cards. There's something very intuitive about using them. And so that's why, for me at least, part of why the fascination that we have with them just seems to be undying, especially for us, right? We're the lumpy-headed weirdos. We're the Runehammerians. We live this lice. That We live this lice by the dice. That's terrible. No wonder I'm not a professional anything. <laughs> we live this lice by the dice. I decree that these lice shall be dice. I can't even see those lice. They're too small. And they're in your hair. Okay, that's the history section. So fascinating, Hankerin. So fascinating. Oh, that Ingrid Bernal. He loves talking about the history things. Anyway, so dice been around a long time. Okay, so fast forward to nowadays, from 6,000 BC to nowadays, and just like every dang thing, dice are a an industry, a multifaceted, gigantic, international industry. And we as gamers have tons of choices, tons of choices. Now, for those of you who are dice aficionados, uh, like I definitely at least claim to be, some of this stuff might sound... Uh, obvious, you might already have heard of this stuff, but for those of you who haven't heard of some of these brands, I hope that this is a little recap or sum up is useful for you guys. But there are some key brands and some key sets that I think are the creme de la creme, the best of the best. Now we have a ton of choices these days with dice, and I'm sure you guys all have more than you actually use. We all do, right? We kind of come and go between what we enjoy and so on and so forth. But I wanted to highlight for you guys what I see as the really the best dice and, and why I would dare make such a silly claim as saying I know something that's the best. <laughs> Just kind of fundamentally ridiculous on so many levels for me to say that, but who cares? This is the RPG mainframe. Here I am God. Anyway, wow. So we have a lot of different dice options out there. There's a ton of these sort of mid-grade dice. They're like rainbow sparkle, you know, weird swirly tie-dye colors, all this kind of stuff. Then you have the, the ocean of semi-useless Q Workshop dice. There's lots of them. They're over-stylized. They're hard to read. The colors are too subtle. They're too expensive. Then you have the maybe sometimes too boring Chessex dice, um, which come in every imaginable configuration, but it can be very simple in a lot of ways, but you know, have such a tradition. They're known to be very well made, very balanced. They feel good in your hand. 
And then we've got all these new emerging ones, like the slightly oversized ones are fascinating. Um, we've got the, the stickler dice from Game Science, which are, you know, absolutely positively the most probabilistically fair dice you can get. But I just wanted to highlight a few sets that to me are absolute must-haves for any true RPG head. Okay, first off, you got to take a look at the metal dice set that is the Dwarven stylized dice set by Q Workshop. Now, normally I do not get interested in metal dice. They damage what you roll on them or roll them on. They tend to be too loud. They're sort of obnoxious in a lot of ways, but the Dwarven set by Q Workshop has rounded off corners and is not made with overly heavy material, and so they roll great. And overly heavy material feels really cool when you're like shopping for dice. So do sharp edges. But if you play one real night of gameplay with sharp-edged, overly heavy dice, you at least if you're anything like me, you will wind up hating the damn things. They they cut paper. They like almost tenderize your hands after a few nights. It's ridiculous. And they make too much noise. They're kind of obnoxious. They can break a, a glass table. These things are horrible. But the Dwarven set by Q Workshop, and I got a holler on the Dwarven set too. Um, if you guys remember way back in 2012 for my birthday, two great friends of mine saw that I had gotten out of D&D for a year or so, a couple years. And I think they were... Uh, you know, hoping that I was going to get back into it. I had just discovered um, Burning Wheel, and I was thinking about getting back into D&D, and for my birthday, they got me the Dwarven Metal Dice Set. Now, I had other dice, you know, collecting dust at home, but these dice, I'd never had ones that so evoked the fun of D&D for me, and if you guys remember my old channel intro for Runehammer, that was the first thing I filmed when I decided to get on YouTube, was my... Q Workshop Dwarven Metal Dice. So check those out. It's not cheap. They're pretty expensive like all the Q Workshop sh uh, sets are. But absolutely fantastic set. Now while I'm on the subject of Metal Dice, if you want to keep pursuing that avenue and you're looking for the right set of Metal Dice, not those brutal magnesium ones or the overly heavy ones, take a look at the Paladin Dice. They are amazing. Now there's a few things I love about Paladin. First, they are black with white text. That's it. No shenanigans. Extremely easy to read. Now, I know that when you're collecting or shopping for dice, super simple designs aren't that exciting. But when you're at the table and the game is the focus, an easy to read dice or one that slides far across the table or you're playing in dim light, easy to read dice are king. Any of you know who have uh, had like a rogue in your party who has like dark red dice with darker red numbers. And every time she's rolling, you're having a hell of a time seeing what the numbers are. That moment gets annoying <laughs> after a while. And these paladin dice are fantastic. They're also metal, but not overly heavy. And they have the rounded corners. But unlike the Q Workshop set, which are just raw metal, these are painted black with white painted numbers. So you get this really poppy look. They come in a great little tin. Absolutely fantastic dice. Um, my friend Cyrus Draken still swears by them. He's all they're all that he rolls. Absolutely loves them. So check out the the black and white metal dice by Paladin. The next set, and this is the set I absolutely cannot live without. And this is the solid yellow Chessex set with black letters. I I know this sounds boring, but these are my go-to dice. I have three sets of these. 
multiple sets of the D6s, uh, multiple D4s. They also make a giant D4 uh, for that set. Um, and then the arrow dice lets, lets you choose uh, direction really quickly. All part of the solid yellow set with black numbers. This is a Chessex, so there's a lot to dig through with Chessex. But if you find this set, I cannot recommend it highly enough. This is my table set. Everybody who's played with me here in Runeham area knows that's all I play with. I'm religious about it. I know that a lot of people, when their dice are betraying them, they'll switch dice sets or they'll switch their D20. This is treachery to me. I am a true believer that my dice are my friends and we stick together no matter what happens and they will reward me. The minute I switch a dice, I have to build a whole new relationship with that thing. I do not believe in changing dice. That's crazy. That's heresy to me. Traitor. So check out the solid yellow Chessex set. Now finally, I, I don't know if I can really recommend the Game Science set, but I know that a lot of people really swear by it. This is old school polyacrylic, you know, kind of hard edges, um, multicolored, semi-see-through or transparent, and then you get your white crayon and fill in the numbers. And these dice are not for me. I don't like how they look. I don't like how they feel in my hand. And they also feel like ancient plastic from, well, honestly, from the 70s, which they kind of are. But if you really do want the old school experience, they're absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. The only ones that feel more old school are maybe some of the sort of low-grade ones that came in the old red box, which had like the little the little manufacturing barbs on them sometimes. You had to Zacto those things off. <laughs> so you know you're really getting a, a precise rolling experience with that. You know, it's got plastic extra bits on it like a, like a Warhammer gun. Anyway, so that's game science. And I'm sure you guys have heard of game science. Um, but as far as like how it feels, I, I don't like those dice. But if you want to go old school, there's really no substitute for game science. Now, as far as what not to get, I, I got to say, um, watch out for anything that feels like a promotional dice. I don't like sparklies, swirlies, hard to read. All that stuff drives me crazy at the table, whether I'm rolling them or someone else is. Um, and wooden dice. I have not seen a manufacturer pull off wooden dice successfully. I've, I've actually had some friends get some uh, Kickstarter rage out of getting wooden dice sets that were sort of lopsided feeling, had upside down numbers or wrong numbers on them. And I'm not sure what about wooden dice creates these problems, but these problems exist. And then of course you have the high end, high end, high end dice, which are made out of semi-precious stones. You guys, there's a lot of different vendors that make these, but again, my experience with these, I didn't like them. They, they were too heavy. They're just, it's like dropping a rock, you know, like that, that's a little much. And it just asks a lot of your table. If you have a padded table, like a neoprene table, then those semi-precious dice are going to be your, your homies. But those are just some of my favorite sets. I'm sure you guys know all about that stuff. Oh, and then the one other thing I wanted to mention is another Chessex product, which is the Chessex D6 Vortex dice. And uh, Vortex, I think, really is just the name of a color. It's their neon green color that's mixed with like an almost identical neon green plastic, but since it's mixed, you get a little bit of a, a micro sort of differentiation in this neon green color. And they just make a, a ludicrously visible D6. And this would be fantastic for any wargaming because these things are just so visible from any, dis any distance. Uh, just fantastic. I love those Vortex dice. Even uh, making videos 
uh, back in the day, like for Dungeon World and stuff, a lot of people on YouTube are asking me about the Vortex dice or were already big fans of them. So take a look at those two, the Chessex Vortex set. But those are just some of my favorite sets. Um, not an earth-shattering piece of podcasting, but if uh, any of you guys haven't heard of any of those, they're definitely worth checking out. So good luck with your spending dollar. Let those dice manufacturers know what you mean or what you need. <laughs> okay, now while we're talking about dice, let's get into the, the real uh, sort of designer's nook. Welcome to the designer's corner. Okay, so over here in the designer's corner, what we're thinking about is the dice and then how they fall into designs. And I, I obviously cannot cover everything because there's a ton of stuff out there. But there's been a lot of talk um, on the Discord channel recently on uh, forums and then uh, obviously all throughout the internet about different dice systems. I think we're at that stage. I've been saying this for about a year now where 5e is entering its older years. Um, not to say that it's over soon, but it's definitely not a young system right now. And I think more and more people get curious about other dice systems or are bringing other dice systems into their 5e game or experimenting on off nights with, with other games like, uh, you know, Shadowrun, Tales from the Loop or Dungeon World, what have you. But I just looking at my notes here, I wanted to cover some of the sort of fundamental different directions that people take dice in their usage of RPG design. Now remember, obviously, the core usage of dice in what we do is the sort of resolution of unknown actions or risky actions. Resolution of you don't just get to do that because. And indirectly, sort of by proxy, the dice become an upgradable resource. And this is the sort of core of almost all RPGs out there. Now you definitely have some, some oddballs like Fate which places uh, more gravity on the acquisition of word tags than it does on numeric modification over time. And those word tags are your progression. And so that's interesting. But right there, that could be our first sort of waypoint. Fate and Genesis and uh, Warhammer Roleplay, these games all represent something I find interesting, but don't really ever wind up with it at my table. Also, um, Star Wars, uh, Edge of the Empire. These are games that use dice that don't have normal symbols on them. So Fate has, you know, the fudge dice with the plus and minus, which basically becomes a binary dice. You have Mouse Guard, which uses binary dice, either the snake or the sword. Um, and then you have um, Genesis and Star Wars and Warhammer Roleplay, which use all kinds of symbol dice. And these can vary in number and color and symbols all over the map, but they basically create these fun, semi-arbitrary systems of earning clusters of symbols. Now, of all these sim uh, systems, I, I'd have to say that I think Warhammer Roleplay does it the best. So you have a card, and maybe the card is Cleave, right? And this is one of your actions. When you're rolling on Cleave, if you get three of the little explosions, that's going to give you a certain result. If you get three of the little shields, that's going to give you a little result. If you get, say, two of skulls, that means you've failed at your cleave and bad things are going to happen. You've exposed yourself to attack and so on. Now, these systems are really fun because they avoid using the left brain. They avoid using the math brain. Let's face it. Math brain is sort of a bit of a downer for a lot of us. There, I think it, the vast minority find great pleasure in hearing and thinking about numeric things. So to abstract 
numeric values on dice into symbols at first is stinking brilliant. But for me, I've discovered that needing to look these things up can become cumbersome over time. Now, as a game creator and writer, it's actually way more fun. This is why writing for Dungeon World is such a blast. You have those three categories of failure, midline success, and total success, and you write these outcomes, right? You write the moves for the game and players pick moves. But I find myself confined. And this is a lot how Warhammer Roleplay works as well, is that it's so cool to make these actions like cleave, right? And so I get to make a cool card, I get to put cool art on it, and then I get to choose dice thresholds for the outcomes of cleave. Now as a creator, this is so fun, but then as a player, I find myself looking at this stuff more than I want to. And so that's our first category uh, of real dice design is the sort of abstracted dice. They get away from numbers and they get into symbols, and then symbols are aggregated, usually into clusters or groups, sometimes canceling each other out and having different dynamic effects. And these effects are equated to narrative pieces, which you either memorize or look at after you roll. Now, next up we have, of course, our rollover or roll under multipolyhedral systems. Now, these are the ones that we all know so well, I don't know if they're worth mentioning. This is a design that has a target number. The target number on a designated dice is rolled over or rolled under, and then other dice are used to get amounts of outcome. This is, this is ICRPG, this is D&D, this is, this is a lot of stuff. This is even GURPS, this is Palladium, this is zillions of designs out there use these kinds of mechanics. This is what we're the most familiar with. Those are just your basic, use all seven dice, have a great time with it. And the next one that definitely gets some mention is the 2D10 or D100 type systems. Now this, these systems center themselves around percentage. And so the beauty of these systems, namely in Middle-earth role-playing and Call of Cthulhu, the beauty of these systems is that the concept of a percentage is very rewarding on the brain. So let's say that I have an investigation skill or... Let's make it something more exciting. Let's say that I have a, a skill called Merciless Skewer. And th this is how good I am at actually like running someone through with a spear. Okay. Now, in some systems, I could have two or three ranks in that skill. Or I could be plus five in that skill. But in the percentage or D100 mindset, I have a 70% chance with Merciless Skewer. Suddenly, that is really tangible to me. And when I get better at Merciless Skewer, I reach 75. I have 75% chance of running somebody through whenever I attack. Suddenly, that gives me a real picture in my mind of exactly how good I am at this gnarly, violent move. And that's fun. Then you get on your D10s, your 2D10s, and you roll under your percentage. So obviously, the higher your percentage, the greater the chance you're going to roll under it because you have all that space. And it just makes freaking sense. And this is one of the reasons that the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, and longest surviving published RPG. I know that, uh, you know, chain mail and all those things are out there, but Call of Cthulhu is, goes way back too. Now, you guys might have to fact-check me on there, but I believe that the Call of Cthulhu D100 system, Middle-earth role-playing, 
chainmail, all that stuff, those are all originators in my mind. So we may have a gap of a few years here and there, but those are originators. And that's why I think the 2D10 percentage-based gaming is worthy of its own category here. Also check out the old school Middle Earth role-playing. That's, that's the classic form. You have all these tables that use percentages and percentages work. They just work on the human brain to help you understand how cool or probable things are. Okay, now last but definitely not least, we've got the dice pool. Now dice pools get a lot of talk um, and not necessarily the most brilliant solutions or the most usable solutions, but they certainly are fascinating to think and talk about. Now the fundamental premise of a dice pool is that you get a number of dice equal to a statistic, be that your skill or attribute or whatever. And then on that number of dice, you are trying to roll something. What you're trying to roll or what the target may be varies from system to system, but the implicit realization is that the more dice you're rolling, the better your chance. So if I need to roll a sword in Mouse Guard, for example, if I'm rolling four dice, the chances are far better than when I'm rolling one. And so I may have a skill of one where I roll one dice with one thing. And then with Battle Axe, I have a skill of four, so I roll four dice. That's a dice pool right there. Now, advanced dice pools let you move dice in, or spend them, sustain them, activate them, make them dormant, save them for later, add them on top, do all kinds of crazy stuff. Obviously, the most known for this is Shadowrun. I believe the most uh, you know, finely refined, finely refined, listen to me tonight, I am a monkey. The most well-refined Shadowrun system is in second edition because the dice counts generally in play don't get too out of hand. Uh, you know, there's a lot of funny stories about people rolling 30d6. That's not fun to me. But for most of Shadowrun second edition, you're rolling more like, you know, 3 to 8d6. It's really fun. A dice pool is simply a variable quantity of dice. One of the greatest ones out there, I think, is also Relic Blade. So for each unit in Relic Blade, it's got a number of action dice. You put those dice in your hand and you're looking at your capability. There's a really good feeling of having two in your hand at one point and five in your hand at another point and feeling with your hand the difference in your capability. And I think this is why dice pools will never go away and are awesome is because it's the one dice growth sort of system or statistic growth system that you can feel in your freaking hand. You cannot feel your proficiency bonus in your hand in D&D. You just can't. But if you have a skill of four in Mouse Guard, you can feel those four dice in your hand and you feel powerful. And that is a cool feeling. This brings us back to this sort of primal or ancient interest and naturalness of enjoying dice. You have this feeling, ooh, I have a lot in my hand, so I'm going to be cool. Now, there can be a lot of different axes of adjustment or axes of challenge using dice pools. Ask World of Darkness. World of Darkness both varies how many dice go into your hand. It deals with all d10s. Then it also plays with the axis of what a successful dice is. So you could say anything over a five is a successful dice. And then it also, or you could, you know, ratchet that up to a nine would be extremely difficult. And then they also play with how many successes are required. So I could give you 
You know, you could have eight dice in your hand, but you have a nine target and you need to get two successes. Or you could have eight dice in your hand, you have a two target and you need to get three successes. You see what I mean? These are It's a three-axis difficulty system, which to me is more than you need. But it just goes to show that in something even like World of Darkness, you have all these axes that can be played with with dice pools. And then it's fun to say to yourself, ooh, in Katana... I have a rank of four, and so I'll put four dice in my hand. That is what always brings dice pools back. They just won't die, but if you ask me, they have not really been nailed yet. There is not one game in my mind that has truly nailed it when it comes to dice pools. I know that's just my opinion, but the closest that I have seen has got to be Shadow uh, Shadowrun 2nd Edition. Tales from the Loop has a lot of elegance to it and simplicity, but some of their notation terminology is counterintuitive in ways that just keep spinning me off when I try to return to it. So I think they're on to something, but I'm going to have to throw the glove at the creative community here, including at myself. The The ultimate dice pool RPG, in my opinion, has not yet been created. Dun, 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 that's a pretty epic ending to episode 44 here on RPG Mainframe. Talking about dice. So... On this topic, I know it's a somewhat casual topic. It's not offering you a bunch of dense theory like sometimes I do on Mainframe. But have I missed anything? What elements of dice do you guys love? What do we really need to holler about? What did I leave out? And what more is there to talk about? I know there are other dice systems out there, but I see those three categories as the real key ones. And if you're looking into designing your own game, maybe those are going to be useful systems. Um... You obviously have some other things like GURPS, which is a 3D6 alternative to a D20 rollover. All these things. You have Conan, which is a 2D20 system and so on and so forth. There's a lot of different things happening, but these are, in, in, in my mind, somewhat fringe. You have the abstracted dice, the seven polys, rollover, roll under. You have the percentage and you have the pools. So those four categories, not three categories, four. I am a monkey tonight. It's Friday night. I just wanted to throw down a podcast because I like talking and watching the waveform, you know, form as I talk. (laughs) No, I've been thinking about this whole dice thing forever. At one point, I was making a big YouTube video about it. I felt like it was silly. But as as a podcast, it feels like easy listening here on the RPG mainframe. So I hope you guys enjoy this little discussion of dice. Maybe caught wind of some brands you haven't heard of. And maybe got some wheels turning on some systems that you would like to try to design yourself to keep them bones a-rolling. So, hey, this is Hanker and Fernell, old Ingrid Bernal, signing off here. This is another episode of RPG Mainframe. This is Ep 44. We are living large and in charge. Who knows what's going to come next? Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, as always, for your ongoing support. You know I love it the most, baby. I'll see you all on the internet. I'm out.